0: Hey friends, thanks for joining me, Jim Baroud, to hear a few insights from leaders who support our corporate innovation ecosystem. Today's chat includes investors Kange Kanene from SAP and Luke Sherrington from Latitude and AB InBev. Go ahead, Luke. Tell us about your, yourself and, and what, you, what you've been doing.
1: Hey team. Um, sure. So, um, just as a bit of background, kind of my my, I'm a former founder slash co-founder in the tech space. Um, I was based out in California for a bit, and uh, and I helped uh, grow a couple B two B technology companies. Um, ended up exiting one of them, I guess, now six years ago. Um, and I joined ZX Ventures. Uh, so ZX was uh, or is the venture capital and innovation arm of ABMBEV. Um, it's mostly focused on how we build, partner with, and, uh, and acquire uh, companies kind of across the, the space. Um, I joined there about four years ago and um, helped kind of grow how we work with startups, uh, whether that's stuff we're starting internally or running internal accelerators um, or r- running external accelerators. And uh, and for the better part of the last uh, two, two, two or so years, um, I I've kind of started and, and launched and uh, led our, our tech investment fund um, that mostly focuses on B2B technology investing. Um, I... Uh, have uh, recently, uh, as of last month, um, left, left AB bev to uh, launch a new fund
0: as well. Great, thanks. Uh, Kange?
2: Hello, everybody. This is Kange Kanene. Nice to um, talk to you all today. I work for SAP. SAP is a large enterprise software company. Um, it competes um, and partners with companies like Oracle, Microsoft, Salesforce, Workday, just to give you some context. Um, for SAP, I focus on global business development. So that means partnering with our SAP's fund and also Accelerator, but also looking for partnership opportunities to help to acquire startups and partner with them as well. Happy to cool. be here.
0: Great, thanks.
2: And I love that background.
0: <laughs> Wherever you are. <laughs> uh, anyway, so um, tell us about this. You have you both have so much experience. I want you to talk a bit more about some of the companies you've invested in and what it means for your corporate parents, how they view innovation, how they view corporate venturing. Why well, do start with that? And then I'll ask you more about corporate venturing in general, as far as trends. So let's start with uh, Luke. Go ahead.
1: Sure. So, um, you know, when, when I was at ZX, um, our main focus was investing. So to be clear, ZX and ABI have um, multiple venture capital units. Um, and I think that's, that's a trend you see uh, amongst a lot of companies, especially CPGs who want to invest in the technology space. Um, and uh, some focus on their core verticals. So in AB Bev's case, that would be uh, uh, you know, beverages, uh, health and wellness, things like that. Um, and, and investing in companies a lot of times with an eye for longer term partnership, potentially acquisition, things along those lines. Um, and then on my side, it was more focused on kind of the technology side. Um, so types of things we would look at would be often uh, things that help us kind of reduce our costs um, that that's very frequently in, in areas like logistics and supply chain, uh, manufacturing, future of work and kind of taking in new external technologies to, uh, to modernize the business. Um, there's also some areas that are in technology that we'd also might potentially acquire or uh pun over the core business. That's a lot of times things like uh, e-commerce platforms for uh, selling beer or things like that online, very specific to the core vertical. Um, so, you know, that's kind of what we'd look at. I, I um, you know, I focus now uh, just kind of just the same, uh, in the same vertical. So a lot in logistics, supply chain, future of work, commonalities across Fortune 500s, where it's, it's really around reducing costs um, and modernizing and digitizing um, the, uh, the infrastructure that your kind of business runs on, um, which SAP is very good at as well, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> so.
2: Good transition, Luke. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Thank you. Um, same thing on, on our side. So one of the things we focus on is finding companies that we think even if they're too early right now could at some point be a strong contribution to our ecosystem. So that means even helping to serve our customers in a, in a better way because they have functionality that closes some of our gaps or helps us get into a new demographic or most importantly has an innovation that is something that we can leverage to make to make our portfolio stronger. For the past few years, I personally have focused a lot on business networks. So that's a two-sided network with buyers of suppliers of different things, either in procurements, e-commerce, et cetera. um, And also trying to see how we can give an industry specific lens to business networks.
0: Great. Okay. So tell us about what you've, let's talk about pre-COVID and now COVID, and then we can sort of forecast post-COVID. So, Tell us uh, what you've been seeing. So, Kang, I'm going to start with you on this. What were you seeing before uh, the pandemic, and how has how, how things changed in, in your in your area?
2: I think now before um, the pandemic, it was um, I was seeing a lot of the same type of of companies. So, for example, future of work is really trendy right now. So, thinking about things like hiring without bias, how can you take, you know, um, someone's background out of the evaluation process when it comes to the demographic, whether they went to school, et cetera. Um, I, I saw uh, in the network's perspective, I, I saw um, how, to, how to optimize things like supply chains. Um, but now post-COVID, people are very innovative about how to think about the industries that are suffering and how to help them pivot. So specifically, there was one company that focused on restaurants which you might think you know this is not the time to focus on restaurants because they're struggling but you can imagine there are some restaurants that need to figure out how to go from mainly in-person sales so dining at a restaurant and figuring out how to properly set up a delivery service and or takeout, and also optimizing their menu for for entrees that are best suited for that type of sale so that company helped to you know interface with um POS systems and use that menu information to optimize. So that's one example of how companies have looked at different industries to help them better compete within COVID-19 restrictions.
0: Great. And what about you, Luke? Do you have any examples of of companies that have sort of surged, you know, in this uh, COVID time?
1: Uh, Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, um, so, so I, yeah, the, the first ones that come to mind around, um, around like businesses that we've seen pivot, um, you know, I, there's an in-store technology company that bolted on like health and wellness feedback and then, uh, adapted that into like real-time employee tracking. Um, we invested in a company, uh, through ZX a couple years ago called uh, paranoid fan that's around stadium in-seat delivering, um, and in-seat, in-seat like experience and they've uh, pivoted to uh, food bank distribution um, for being able to like deliver food at home. Um, And it's just like an adaption of their technology and tweaking it from like, hey, deliver from uh, this restaurant vendor or this uh, this stadium vendor from this food bank to this person as opposed to this seat. Um, So we've seen a lot of these types of like adaptions Uh, in terms of companies that that I'm particularly bullish on I think one thing that COVID's kind of uh, shined the light on and, and can definitely speak to this around the corporate venturing landscape, if, you, if you'd like, um, is around just like resilience of supply chains and like the fact that there's so many things that went wrong. Uh, a lot of that has to do with like data, visibility, um, supply chain tracking. So, uh, you know, that was already kind of a, a, a growing area, um, something that like didn't really exist a decade ago, became very hot five years ago, and now it's building on top of the initial uh, technology that's uh, it's been created. Um, and I, I kind of expect that to continue because it's 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 just kind of shine a light on uh, a light on the uh, the issues that have existed.
0: Great. And so, post COVID, if we can look that far um, forward, you know, what are you? How are you preparing, each of you? And and are you preparing, or are we sort of still sort of managing through this crisis and and investing in it, or or or, or looking out after it?
1: Sure. Um, I can, I can start with that one. Um, so I think, you know, from a, from a corporate venture perspective, CVCs are kind of a product of their, their initial structure. A lot of times the closer to a VC that they are, the more they have dedicated capital and, and not like on balance sheet investing. And therefore they're able to like quickly invest in, uh, and be somewhat opportunistic. Um, the closer they are to the, the corporate side, the more likely I think it is that they potentially had the brakes on a little bit. Um, you know, we've seen some cor- corporates come out. I can't remember if it's Coke or Pepsi um, and say, Hey, you know, we're really doubling down on our core brands. Um, and I think that's, that's potentially going to slow some of the, uh, some of the pilots that would be happening otherwise. Um, I, I think what we're going to see, you know, near and far term are, uh, companies investing in tech that doesn't really like go out of style, which is often tech that helps them drive down their costs. Uh, you know, potentially I'm biased because that's where I invest and I work across corporates and help find these types of opportunities. But, um, You know, I I think that that's that's going to be an area where people are going to say, hey, this is more relevant than ever. Um, Time to digitize and modernize my supply chain, manufacturing, et cetera. And oftentimes that goes hand in hand with lowering costs. I think what we're going to see less of is probably things a bit more like marketing and, uh, you know, um, the the kind of top line revenue growth uh, side of pieces. Um, just because I think that a lot of corporates are kind of seeing that that's, that of course, you need to continue to do that. But, um, you know, right now, it's kind of all hands on deck for, for protecting the, the core ship as well.
2: Got it. Kange? That makes sense. There's, there's two things that are happening specifically at SAP. So compared to other corporate ventures, um, SAP's fund is is, is quite small. Um, and in some ways, that's that's by design, because then we have the opportunity to be super risky, right? So SAP's focus is not to necessarily expect high returns every year because it's small compared to our overall balance sheet. So that means you can take bets on companies um, more so than, than you could otherwise. So because of that, I think SAP is still focused on finding the really cool innovative companies, even though things seem um, a little bit glim right now. But on the other hand, kind of aligned to what what Luke said, the types of companies that are even coming to SAP are different, right? And so that's aligning how, that's changing how we're thinking. And because we want to be forward thinking in terms of COVID relief, then we are probably have a bias towards companies that specifically focus on helping, helping us get through COVID, right? So retail, automotive, et cetera.
0: Got it. And so, you know, during times of crisis or downturns, uh typically across corporates you know there is a pullback right uh, especially with innovation because they're cutting costs uh, mm-hmm. and some of those benefits aren't tangible in the short run so are you seeing that or have you seen that in your companies or other companies uh, you
2: know in the in the corporate arena not yet we haven't seen it yet um, and maybe there's a delay <laughs> but um, so far we're using this as a kind of as motivation to be the most innovation, innovative we can be because things are, are hard. And so that's that's why we're really, you know, our attention is on the companies that are making a difference. Got it. How about you, Luke? Yeah,
1: I, I think that's, you know, it's company by company. I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus for uh, for not being innovative right now. Um, but, you know, I, I think that it's a mix. Well, um, I think what you're seeing, no matter what, is that companies like, that you're seeing reallocation, right? So you're seeing people who were previously, let's say at AB InBev, um, uh, you know, focused on sports marketing or um, you know, on premise, right? So selling in bars and restaurants and stuff like that. Um, I think there's unquestionably still a focus there, but especially in the beginning of the pandemic, what I saw was um, a lot of people kind of also looking at, hey, how do we focus on something like Ventures for Good, right? How do we actually respond and be very relevant to the pandemic? Um, And and connect with our consumers that way. So I think, um, you know, it remains to be seen what what that ultimately shakes out like like is that long term just like reallocation of resources. Um, But I I think that all corporates or at least all the ones I've talked to, there's at least a desire to to stay relevant and to like not kind of miss miss the opportunity to be able to like serve customers in a a more effective way. and, and like the incredible graph I saw was something like we've seen the previous five years of e-commerce growth in the previous six months. Um, and if you're not, so, so if you're looking at like, let's say digital grocery or something like that, um, you know, their focus is uh, this is like Kroger, or, I mean, Walmart or whoever else, their focus has shifted from customer acquisition to retention and, uh, you know, getting people kind of in there. And so, so I think that they're just trying to flex these different muscles that they might not have uh, had to as much. Um, where that really shakes out in terms of like corporates uh, hunkering down or doubling down on new tech kind of remains to be seen. I think we're kind of right in the the thick of it.
0: Got it. And so is that, is that investment outlook for, for the, you know, the whole industry, not just corporates or in general, are you seeing any trends short-term and long-term?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, personally on my end, I think the, um, you know whatever is relevant tech that that's, that that I think would be the logistics supply chain manufacturing um, future of work these types of areas um, so that, that that's what i think that people are kind of reallocating towards um, the the people who are getting hurt right now to be honest from the startup community are ones that are very dependent on like in person gathering and you know these types of pieces um, it's it's uh, you've seen i've seen some awesome pivots um, but uh, but you know when you, if your whole business is is based off of um, something like that or experiential marketing or something like that um, you know there's there's not really anything you can do right now if you're if you're dependent on a stadium being open for football season or something like that so, um, so that's kind of where I've seen things kind of decrease and you know I, I, my my guess is that it, they would come back kind of in line with um, with the, with the kind of the, the changes back to the new normal so to say. Got
2: it. Thank you just to add to that um, we're seeing some opportunities to partner with or invest in companies that are aligned with municipalities and help with COVID testing and logistics there. So helping with tracking, helping with um, giving people the results faster electronically, um, digital waiting in line to go to testing places, You know, helping people get from one hospital to the next. So the logistics within COVID itself, there's uptick in companies that are looking at that as well.
0: Right, and what about, you both come from uh, global companies so has are you seeing sort of differences in sort of geographic focus areas or you know as far as different investment levels
2: yeah um to me it's been about the same i mean there's we've always had you know we started in the us so us is highest then europe then asia third just because that's that's the order that we launched the fund but in all in all those three regions that i mentioned um the the pipeline is the same in terms of the volume.
1: Yeah, I think um, similar, um, COVID's hitting everywhere. So it's not really like, you know, there's oh, this one area is so much more focused. Um, I, I think, you know, per- personally as an investor, I have been and, and continue to be uh, more active in North America, LATAM and uh, in Europe. Um, in Israel a little bit. Um, But um, I think like APAC and some areas like that, you really need to have feet on the street to be able to invest in those markets. Um, So, so, you know, I I kind of know a little bit less of as to what's happening in in India or China or areas like that in terms of investment landscape. Um, But I I would guess that the trends that we're seeing, you know, they they do apply globally because it's a global pandemic.
0: Right. Okay. I'm going to ask another question, but before I do, I want to remind folks to submit questions uh, in the Q&A prompt. I'll be pulling from them shortly. So what about entrepreneurs? There's a lot of entrepreneurs in the call in all different sectors, and I want to make sure that we get advice from you guys as far as how they should be operating, how they should be thinking, and um, how they should be viewing investment possibilities by corporates in this, in this day uh, and in the, in the short term.
1: Sure. Um, I'm happy to jump in there. Um, I I think the one thing I'd say to entrepreneurs is that they need to make their companies relevant to what's happening. Um, Corporates, especially when working with corporates, corporates have competing priorities um, never more so I think than doing during a crisis Um, in order to stay relevant, they kind of need to adapt their priorities to, match uh, the needs of, of those existing or prospective customers um, so I think embracing that change like the world has definitely changed um, show that the product should be prioritized now more than others um, it, it really really is going to come in come in and hit for the corporates um, that mostly goes from a commercialization perspective but I put that hand in hand with investments as well um, you know if your product if that means changing your product roadmap or changing your messaging um, you know, ultimately, if you're a B2B company, you want to be responsive to the needs of your customers and adapt for them. So um, I think communication and staying relevant um, and meeting those needs is, is pretty key.
2: I agree with that. Um, to add to it, I think that um, entrepreneurs should be very thoughtful about the money that they that they collect from corporates because a lot of times, especially if you think of corporates as strategic, right? So you should think about which companies can help us do things like Um, get more customers, co-development, et cetera, um, so that you can see who can be most opportunistic. And then keep in mind that for the most part, corporations don't like to invest alongside with their competitors, right? So when you think about who's the best person in this particular space, or best company in this particular space to be strategic, then think through all of them and and make sure that you you go to the ones that can be most helpful. And then secondly, you should try to think of this as a more long-term game. So in some cases, the same, um, corporate venture that invests in you could potentially be an exit strategy in the future so again thinking about what would be the best fit there based on you know you know portfolios aligning management styles being, this, being similar other synergies that you could think of because this can be a long-term relationship
0: great
1: yeah just riffing off of that quickly um i i, I completely agree and i think that a, a huge piece there is if the companies. um when taking strategic capital, I always counsel people like if you're taking it from somebody in your core vertical, think of this closer to acquisition than than investment um, because you know they that's probably what they're thinking there's potential lookouts like, hey, you make a candy bar and you're raising money from Hershey's. Uh, if, if Hershey's doesn't then buy or lead your next round, it can be very negative signaling to the market. So I think when working with CBCs um, specific to the vertical that you operate in, these aren't, th- this is not, not by any means a reason to not work with them. It's just considerations you have to take into place beforehand. And that strategic can be both valuable or potentially a hindrance. So I think, um, you know, I just, I'd counsel any entrepreneur to, to think through that. Uh, before taking that capital and make sure that the the values and the interests are aligned. Um, I've seen this work out in ways like, hey, you know, uh, this company will do distribution for you, or this company will help with your sales team or something like that. Um, hard coding that into agreements, I think makes a lot of sense, um, because it, it kind of aligns interests the
0: whole way through. Got it. So why don't we, before we take questions, I wanted to make sure that I asked you for just one thing, just one nugget of uh, insight that folks on this call could take away from our conversation. So why don't we start ladies first, Kange, go ahead.
2: Sure, um, we've said some of this already, but when you approach, if, there's, if you're approaching a corporate VC to request funding, try to think of it like a partnership. So it's a two way street, So of course, most of us can understand why you would want funding because you're a new company, but understand why a corporate venture would want to fund you specifically. And this is different from a traditional VC, right? So thinking about, like we said before, what are the opportunities to work together to do things better with customers? Of course, not necessarily revenue because of those different sizes, but um, if you lead with what's in it for the corporates, I think it helps us sell internally to get approval for the ultimate funding.
0: Okay, great. Thanks. How about you, Luke?
1: Um, I, I think there's two pieces I would look at. One is from the entrepreneur's perspective and then the other kind of from the corporate perspective. Um, from the entrepreneur's perspective, this is uh, kind of what I mentioned before. I think staying relevant to the corporates uh, during the crisis and adapting uh, to the needs of the corporates is going to be pretty key and um, showing why your product should be prioritized. Um, for the corporates, you know, when, less so when working with the entrepreneurs, but more when working with each other. Um, I, I think that it's natural to to kind of put on silos and put on blinders and say either we know what to do or um, you know w- w- there's no real benefit that we can get from working with other corporates um, I've seen the complete opposite uh, it's it's incredible how talking to somebody at Lowe's or target or um, you know, Nike or whoever else, um, we can kind of share and collaborate and, uh, and go back and forth and, and, and understand that there's, there's actually a lot of commonalities across our businesses. Um, obviously, that's kind of how, how I focus on investing is investing in the commonalities across these corporates. And I spend a lot of my time talking to all different corporates kind of in a hub and spoke model. Um, so you know, I think the more that you can do that, the more that you can uh, collaborate and sh- share different ideas, Uh, the more you're going to be able to actually have best practices. And it's going to be a lot more efficient than if you were doing it all internally um, because your visibility in the sourcing pipeline just expands big time. So I think, you know, that's the one thing I would definitely suggest to any corporate innovator is don't be afraid to talk to other people. Um, It's just going to completely broaden your world.
0: Got it. All right. Thanks. So here's a question about um, actually white claw. So this might not be the area you were in Luke, but, uh, this, the rise of seltzers, right. Uh, alcoholic seltzers. Were you or your colleagues, um, ahead of that curve or did they invest properly or was there a missed opportunity there? I a hundred percent, um, th- th- I will say
1: just outright, like, this is me speculating. Uh, so, so I'm not speaking on behalf of uh, anyone, of course, at ABI, um, as, as, a, as I'm not there anymore. Um, my personal opinion is that uh, AB and Bev was probably ahead of the curve uh, when it comes to most beverage trends, including but not limited to um, uh, seltzer. Um, AB and Bev, uh, I believe, uh, purchased a company called um, Bon and Viv or Spiked Seltzer uh, back in the day, um, and uh, you know remains to be seen who's going to win these alleged seltzer wars. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I think that I think that a key thing that I'll say more just broadly whether it's, you know, hard seltzer or something else um, is you can be first, but that does not necessarily mean that you're going to, you know, win the customers Um, that, that applies to like Friendster, right. Or like anything, MySpace, right. All of these things were very big in the tech space, um, but that, you know, there was something that either did or did not uh, resonate with consumers. Um, So um, I, I, my personal take is that AB and Bev tends to be ahead of a lot of these trends. Um, But, you know, sometimes you see things just emerge as extremely fast growing, beverage companies or technology companies that, um, you know, it's kind of like, why did the consumers pick that one? Um, But, uh, but yeah, we'll see kind of where that all shakes out in the seltzer front.
0: Great. Thanks. Uh, So here's a question in terms of retention, since some e-commerce companies are focusing on retention more than customer acquisition, what are some of the ways you are measuring retention as an indicator for if you should invest in that company
2: or not? The main one I've seen is return customers. So is the customer buying something again? Are they visiting the e-commerce marketplace more than once? That's one way to measure retention.
1: Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, churn, which is basically the exact same thing, um, is kind of the key one. Um, I also, just to be clear on my point on retention, um, you know, if you're, if you're Walmart or something like that, you used to say, I have to get these customers before Kroger or before you know, Albertsons or whatever else. Um, now you're saying, okay, you know, one in three Americans now use uh, grocery. Um, my, my customer acquisition problems are, that's not a problem anymore. I want to make sure I win this customer over them because they're probably trying two or three different ones. And like right now is the land grab. Um, from a corporate side, I think probably what you do is like incentives, uh, you know, very much like spend the money, do things that don't scale now to in order to like maintain or establish that customer loyalty, because long term, like, you know, that's going to pay dividends big time. Um, so yeah, churn, from, the, from, the corporate, from the company side, I think uh, churn is probably the biggest number for retention. Uh, but from the corporate side, it's really uh, focused on that like user, not, not a user acquisition, but yeah, creating loyalty.
0: And I think that speaks to a larger question with, uh, you know, the big players. How do you, how do you, you know, create a niche uh, where you can compete or do you collaborate with them or partner with them? And there's risks involved there too. Uh, so is there, are there things you're seeing that if you were an entrepreneur who was uh, with a startup or a growth company, mm-hmm. how, how, what might be the best way to sort of, Compete for the short and long
1: term. Sure, I can take that one first. Um, full disclosure, shameless plug: uh, uh, There's a, a company Hala that I help out sometimes. H a l l a. That it's just extremely relevant to, to what you just said. Um, you know, they do um, natural natural language processing um, in order to identify um, more on the like ingredient level uh, relevant recommendations for grocery. Um, so in e-commerce, so if you're coming in and you're buying a you know, gluten-free bread and a veggie burger, they won't be like, do you want, you know, ketchup? It'll be like, oh, do you want artisanal ketchup with like, you know, made of all organics and no tomatoes or something like it's very, it's very uh, better recommendations, uh, not just like, hey, everyone should have Coca-Cola or Pepsi because they order a bunch of this stuff um, and, and doing it more on like a, a preference level. So in their case, and this is why, this is why I mentioned them, um, um, I think it's specialization in technology, right? So they're saying like, we're not going to just have an algorithm that gives you suggestions. We're going to really dig in, understand consumer preferences, look at it from a different way than traditional algorithms do, and be able to make better recommendations uh, than, than you know, your typical grocery uh, does. The other thing I'll say is that you know, selling into, a in this case, uh, you know, Kroger or Walmart might not be the best fit for an entrepreneur. But selling into a, you know, the hundred other online grocery stores that, aren't, that don't have the resources to have a hundred person e-commerce recommendation team, um, that's still you know, a multi-billion dollar opportunity. So I think you know, stay, working with the corporates, sometimes it makes sense to go down a little bit from the very biggest guys that have basically infinite resources to do it. And, uh, and instead really crush it in, in some of the other areas um, with, with some of the smaller players. So that's that's overall kind of how I think about it is specialization and not being afraid to go after not always the biggest whale.
2: Okay.
0: Kanga, do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Uh, no, I think uh, what Luke said makes sense. I, I agree with what he said.
0: Okay, great. And so someone asked about how to get in touch with you folks but in general corporate VC. So but what is the best sort of route um, to sort of contact folks like you, uh, you know, from, a, from an entrepreneurial perspective?
2: That's a good question because I know it can be very intimidating um, for some of these corporates that are so big. Um, there's, of course, it depends. But most... Um, most venture groups have some type of events so there's there's maybe like a call for applications online so keep track of that you can maybe put yourself on e newsletter of course there's old school stalking on linkedin looking at your network there um and then looking at the past portfolio that that they've invested in and seeing if you can find connections into those founders for introductions those are some ideas i have anything else luke
1: um, yeah, I, I think that uh, corporates can be really tough to get into. Oftentimes the venture or like startup oriented arm is easier um, because they're used to facing externally as opposed to internally. Um, corporate spam traps are also really, really difficult to get through sometimes like they'll just capture all kinds of messages it's like Gmail is evil or something <laughs> like it's not that bad. Um, so uh, I think that I think that exactly what, what you say, Kanye. I think that you know introductions always help. Um, I, I get a lot of like cold LinkedIn outreach. Um, the thing I would just be careful about that is it gets lost in the mix if it's not like if it's like dear sir, right? It's like I'm never going to respond to that message. But if it's like hey, I see that we have this mutual connection. I know them from this. This is what I'm starting. Like this is my stage, but. Because oftentimes I'll respond, hey, that's too early. Or, hey, that's not something I'm really interested in. But here's another person I think could be, could be a better fit for you. Um, so specific to investment, I think, you know, my email, we can always share it afterwards or whatever whatever works for, for everyone to get specifically in touch with me. Um, but otherwise, I think trying to find some, some avenues that way, um, you know, always, always makes sense. Or even if it's just you have one contact inside of an organization, say, like, can you just quickly introduce me to or forward my email to this person? Um, You know, that can that can be helpful as well, as long as it's very contextualized and relevant.
0: Right. Now, what about um, someone asked about LinkedIn? Is that um, a good mode of uh, communication or are you guys slammed with so many uh, inbound messages and connection requests that it's it's messy?
1: There's a lot of spam on LinkedIn, um, uh, you know, and and, and especially in terms of connection requests. I I generally just like kind of accept anyone that I have a vague understanding of who they are or or if there's a. But I think like sending a message like, hey, I want to reach out, not like because I have this amazing company that you need to invest in right now, but it's like, hey, I'm solving this problem. Is this something that you'd be interested in? If so, like, let me know. And if it is, oh, you're doing a million dollars in revenue. You work with a Fortune 500 company and, you know, you're in this space and you're backed by a VC, I know. Fantastic. You know, I tend to be a little bit later. So it filters out some of these, these companies, but um, I think LinkedIn can work. I just like, you know, the spray and pray model on there. I don't think works very well at all.
2: Agree with what Luke said, and just to add on to it, just make it really easy for me to understand what you want from me. Right. I've had people that send me a note and just said, Hey, I'm doing something cool. Here's our website. Check it out. I'm not gonna do that. Right. Yeah. If you tell me these are three bullets of why this is a good fit or I'm looking for introduction or whatever it is. I'm happy to help. I just, I don't want to work so hard to help you. Let me help you and I will try my best to do it.
0: Got it. Okay, um, I'm gonna just ask, if anyone has any other questions, please submit them. The question I have was your success stories, you know, tell us about success stories, whether you invested or your colleagues invested that people might know about or might be able to sort of relate to, because obviously there's been a lot of investments going on from both of your companies. And I'm curious to see, you know, what, what's been really uh, successful over the years.
2: There's a company called Gooder good with our afterwards um the founder is a woman named jasmine crow she's amazing what she does is she helps try to solve the food insecure problem so people that don't have enough to eat her philosophy is that the problem is not that there's not enough food is that there's too much waste so she goes to food so for example if, you know when you go to an event and there's catering there seems to always be food left over and you just never know what happens to it usually it gets thrown away because the people that cater it are worried about donating it because of liability that someone will choke or be allergic or whatever. So she works with a middleman to say, you know, tell me that you have food now give it to a local food bank or even an individual. And and we've invested in them um, and supported them before COVID. But as you can imagine, is even more relevant now when people can't get around as much. So that's the company I'm super excited about.
1: Yeah, I love that. Um, there's another company in the U.S. that does something similar called uh, Your Local, I uh, went through a, uh, an accelerator food axe and super bullish on anything that uh, gets rid of food waste. I, I, typically what happens to those, those like, you know, buffet platters or whatever is I, I'm the one being like, can you just
2: like, absolutely. I'm like, can good or send yeah. it? Cause like I'll <laughs> go
1: hand this out to people. Like I'll take the liability or I'll just take it home. You know, I, I hate food waste. Um, so, and I, I'm aware of gooder. I didn't know you guys were an investor. So, um, that's awesome. Um, I think, you know, on my side, um, it's really about trying to find the the companies that work um, across corporates. Um, One that immediately comes to mind that's pretty relevant uh, is a company called Leaf Logistics. Um, So these guys, we invested in their Series A out of CX um, a year and some change ago, I believe. And uh, what Leaf does is, you know, there's this crazy stat that, um, you know, I I couldn't believe when I heard it, that 40% or upwards of 40% of the trucks on the road, tractor trailers that you see are empty. Um, and so what Leaf does is basically says, hey, that's because there's, really, there's a lot of inefficiencies in, in your trucks. And the fact that, you know, you're taking things from Saskatchewan to Tuscaloosa. I have no idea why those are the first cities that popped into my head. I've never been to either one. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and then you got to go over to like Fort Pierce or something. And it's just, it's, it's, you're bouncing around, you're deadheading everywhere. So Leaf comes in and says, hey, let us know where all your trucks are. And hey, AB InBev, Procter & Gamble, uh, Nike, whoever else. We will then say, hey, as opposed to dropping off there and then deadheading for 400 miles, how about you just drive 10 miles, pick up some of their stuff and drive it over here and then pick up some of your stuff. So it's all about making more efficient uh, transportation and logistics systems. Now, the, the impact that that has on in the, the environment, I think the, only, the, only, the best, the best envi- thing for the environment, I think, is Zoom. Um, because it's completely eliminated business travel over the last three months. Um, but you know, next to that, I, I'm really bullish on what these guys are doing, and you know, it, it kind of feeds off of uh, what I'm doing in terms of working with corporates and trying to connect the dots um, really well. Um, because they're they're really solving that problem of, of 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 you know, we're all kind of looking at the same stuff. We all have the same problems. Well, let's like shine a light on that and then be able to collaborate and uh, and drive a lot of costs down. So,
0: great. So here's a question about getting into corporate venturing. So for this young person, you know, or for people just graduated from college, are there any sort of routes that they should sort of look to to get into corporate venturing?
2: I always hate saying it depends, but um, there are different routes. I think there's, there's two ones that stand out most to me. One is... It's helpful if you're on the venture team and you understand the business, right, the corporate, the, the umbrella company. So if you have a deep understanding of either that specific company or the industry, then you can be the the, the um, voice of reason when under, identifying whether or not this company is relevant to the vision. So so that's one way. Is if you come from the business, you've done a great job, you understand the strategic vision, and then you apply as an internal employee. And the other is probably more aligned with what, what overall VCs look for, which is either you are a founder before or you have... You have some um, finance experience, or or any of those qualifications. I think those two those two avenues are pretty typical.
1: Yeah, I think um, yeah, you know, I'll say what I, I tend to tell friends or or people who reach out asking about getting into venture or CVC uh, because what I do is a little bit probably closer to venture than than corporate uh, innovation or corporate um, on the corporate side. Um, do the job that you want to do before you do it. Um, so join as a mentor in accelerator programs, uh, you know, just help founders that you're irrelevant. go to demo days and um, don't really go in with a mindset. Um, Techstars has a motto, which I actually really like called give first. And it's like, don't go into the mindset of like, Oh, I'm so great and I'm going to be able to help you with everything. Be like, Hey, can I maybe add value by connecting these dots? Can I, you know, give you feedback based on my experience. Right. Um, for me, given my background in the B2B space, that's a lot of times around like sales and business development and growing your, your company. Um, but, you know, if you're a designer and you're interested in that, help them just like design stuff, right? Um, and, and that mentorship uh, also kind of gets you, you start to be able to uh, pattern recognize a bit better. Um you know, I, there's some quote there around, like, uh, the first 10 companies you see, one is the most incredible company you've ever seen in your entire life. And the next 100 companies you see, one is the most incredible company. And the next 1000 companies you see, one is the most incredible. And that's so true, because you just like, the more you see, the more you recognize, like, actually, this is a standout business. So I think getting involved in the venture space in general, um, really helps if you're, if you're involved with kind of the fringes, whether that's mentorship at accelerators, um, for, for your expertise is kind of the best I've seen.
0: Got it. There's a follow up question. Can you distinguish between corporate venturing and normal investing? Yeah,
1: uh, I, I can DG? touch on that a, a little bit. Um, you know, I, I, the line is unquestionably blurry and it kind of depends on the company. Um, if you look at SAP, for example, so I don't mean to speak for you, but uh, you know Sapphire uh, is is came out of there, and they're an incredible venture capital firm in their own right, um, not necessarily because of or dependent on SAP. Same goes with like Google Ventures or Intel Capital. Um, then on the other extreme, you have. Um, I don't know, I, there, there are definitely a lot of VC funds, or P&G ventures, um, they're very brand focused and they're very, um, I think a lot of it is internal. I'm not, I'm not sure if it still is, but it was historically, like we want to like create new brands internally. Maybe we'll partner with somebody outside uh, here and there, but it's really about like a core vertical and like launching brands. Um, so I, I think that it, it just kind of depends on the corporate and depends on the fund uh, for, for what they do and how that operates.
2: great. Ditto, yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, great. So why don't we do this? Um, we have this tradition here on the show asking for poems and I want each of you to, you know, share with us something uh, special, uh, whether it's a poem or a proverb or, or, or anything similar. Uh, go ahead, Luke. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll go with a quote um, that I
1: uh, can't remember I saw it, but I'm a big fan. Um, you, can fail at what, uh, you can fail at what you don't want, so might as well take a chance on doing what you love. Um, and that is from the great ancient philosopher, uh, Jim Carrey. Um, so.
0: Wonderful,
2: thank you. <laughs> I, I love Jim Carrey, that, that's great. Um, mine is a quote as well. Um, it says, the only thing we truly leave behind in life is the love and service we have shown to others. I think it's important to keep that in mind as we kind of get on the grind with work and realize, keeping into perspective, what really matters and what our legacies will be.
0: Great. Thank you, Kange. All right, folks, thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please like it, leave a review, and subscribe. See you soon.